Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. The first dog we're going to be talking about joined its family in 1884, and as usual, I'll be telling you more about what occurred that year. Firstly, on January the 18th, William Price attempts to cremate his dead baby son, Ithua Grist, in Wales. He was later tried and acquitted on the grounds that cremation is not contrary in English law. He is then able to carry out the ceremony, the first in the United Kingdom in modern times on March 14th, setting a legal precedent. On March 28th, Prince Leopold, the youngest son and the eighth child of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, dies at the age of 30 in Cannes, France. On August 5th, the cornerstone of the Statue of Liberty is laid on Bedloe's Island in New York Harbour. On October 22nd, Letitia Alice Walkington becomes the first woman to receive a degree from the Royal University of Ireland. And lastly, on December 10th, the Third Reform Act widens the adult electorate in the United Kingdom to around 60%. It stated that all men paying an annual rental of £10 and all those holding land valued at £10 now had the vote. Before the passing of the Act, there were 3,040,000 voters registered, while in the 1885 general election, after the passing of the Act, there was just over 5,708,000 registered voters. But also in that year, a little dog called Nipper joined his family in Bristol and would later become one of the most famous dogs in the world. Word of the week. And this week, the word I give you is... Balter. B-A-L-T-E-R. Which means to dance artlessly, without particular grace or skill, but usually with enjoyment. Now, this is something I can do perfectly. When you think of famous dogs, there are quite a few that spring to mind. Scooby-Doo or Toto, for instance. 
There are few, though, that are as instantly recognisable as Nipper, the terrier from Bristol. You probably won't recognise his name, but you will recognise his image. Nipper was owned by Mark Henry Barard, the chief scenic painter at the former Prince's Theatre on Park Row. Mark was a familiar figure at the theatre, with his wide-brimmed soft hat, his casual shirt and artist's loose tie. He was a talented artist whose work often won him the acclaim of the audience, who were delighted when Nipper shared his master's curtain calls. Mark was also a practical joker, and one of his most common gags was to send visitors to catch trout at fish ponds. Married with five children, Mark brought the pup home to Banner Road, Montpellier in 1884 as a pet for the family. The inquisitive white dog with dark brown ears was devoted to his master and followed him everywhere. It was the children who gave him the unusual name because of his unruly habit of nipping at the ankles of their guests. Nipper was quite the energetic dog and actually lost an eye when he was out chasing rats and ran into a bush. Mark's grandson Philip said, Nipper went everywhere with his master. When Mark had produced some particularly attractive scenery, such as Aladdin's cave, the audience would call for him and he would come on stage accompanied by Nipper. Mark Baraud died suddenly at the tragically young age of 39 in 1887 and was buried in an unmarked pauper's grave in Arnas Vale's Catholic Cemetery, close to the wall that divides it from the ITV studios next door. His family were left destitute, and a fund was launched by the Shute brothers, owners of the Prince's Theatre, showing how highly regarded Mark had been. Leading actors, musicians and singers gave their services willingly, and concerts at the Prince's raised £400, which is over 43000 in today's money. His artist brother, Francis, offered to give the dog a new home with him in Liverpool. Francis and Nipper spent many hours together and enjoyed each other's company. Francis noted how fascinated the dog was with the sound coming from his early version of a record player. He'd later say, We had a phonograph and I often noticed how Nipper was puzzled where the voice came from. It suddenly occurred to me that to have my dog listening to a phonograph with an intelligent expression would make an excellent subject. It turned out to be the happiest thought I ever had. (laughs) Word on the street. Today, we venture forth to BS13 in Bristol, and Boucher Gardens. Henry Boucher was the second Earl of Essex and was granted the manor of Bedminster in 1522 by Henry VIII, whom he'd served as captain of the bodyguard and chief captain of the king's forces. Boucher died following a fall from his horse in March 1539, and because he didn't have any heirs, the land reverted to the crown. In his later days, Nipper returned to live with Mark's family after they moved to Kingston-upon-Thames near London. He passed away at the grand old age of 11 in 1895. They buried their beloved pet there under a mulberry tree where there is now a commemorative plaque. 
but it wasn't until three years after Nipper's death in 1895 that Francis got round to painting the image that was to make his name, if not his fortune. You see, Francis never forgot Nipper, nor that quizzical expression that we all came to know and love as a symbol of listening pleasure. But it wasn't plain sailing for the artist when he offered his original painting of the dog to an American inventor, Thomas Edison, who had developed many devices in fields such as electric power generation, mass communication, sound recording and motion pictures. But Edison's response to the image was quite sharp. In fact, he said, Dogs don't listen to phonographs. Francis Barard retouched the portrait, etching out the Edison name he'd put in before to try and get Edison to buy the picture. And he approached a competing business. And on September the 15th, 1899, William Barry Owen of the brand new Berliner Gramophone Company agreed to pay Francis £50 for the painting. He had it called His Master's Voice and another £50 for the copyright after he replaced the wind-up Edison Bell phonograph with one of their own Berliner disc gramophones. A few years later, the image was adopted as a trademark for the label His Master's Voice, the new name of the company, and the whole retail entertainment empire, now owned by the Canadian Sunrise Records Group, with a brief gap in the 1990s when a public outcry saw the dog logo reinstated. At its launch, around 5,000 printed copies of the famous Nipper painting were sold for two shillings each in 1890, and the first souvenirs of dog and trumpet were paperweights. Nipper even appeared on Broadway on a 50-foot hoarding lit by hundreds of lights. In fact, the image is so iconic that HMV wanted to move Nipper's remains to their headquarters in Hayes. Unfortunately for them, Nipper's bones had been covered by a newly built concrete car park at the back of a Lloyds bank, and the site was marked with a special plaque in 1984, and a birthday party was held in his honour. Francis Barrage spent most of the rest of his life painting 24 replicas of his original picture. Over the decades, Nipper hasn't just featured on disc labels, but on thousands of promotional items through various incarnations of the HMV, EMI and RCA Victor companies. It was used to sell everything from life-size piggy banks to coffee mugs. On the 100th anniversary of Nipper's birth in 1984, HMV celebrated by organising a lookalike contest, and the winning pup was Toby from Doncaster. Toby received the star treatment, being photographed with many of the top music stars of the 1980s like Boy George, Banana Rama and Dexie's Midnight Runners, as well as making personal appearances across the country. A larger-than-life depiction of Nipper can be found as an oversized statue in Baltimore, Maryland, America, to a gigantic effigy in Manans, New York. But right here in Bristol, where Nipper's story began, there's a building that I featured a couple of weeks ago in the episode The Circus of Curiosities, which stands opposite a petrol station on Park Row in the centre of Bristol. On the corner of the building above the doorway, you'll find a little statue of Nipper in his famous pose. Nipper isn't the only dog to have a statue. 
In fact, the most famous one in the UK must be one in Edinburgh, reputed to be the city's smallest listed building. Greyfriars Bobby was a Skye Terrier who became famous in the 19th century for his unwavering loyalty to his owner. In 1850, John Grey, his wife Jess and their son John arrived in Edinburgh. John was a gardener but couldn't find employment in his new hometown, so he worked as a night watchman for the Edinburgh Police Force. It was a lonely job, so to keep him company he bought the Sky Terrier, who he called Bobby. Soon, John and Bobby became inseparable through the long winter nights, maintaining a watch over their charges. Sadly, Edinburgh's damp and murky weather eventually took its toll on John, who was diagnosed with tuberculosis, and despite treatment from the police surgeon, he died on the 15th of February 1858 and was buried in Greyfriars Kirkyard. Bobby, who had never been apart from John, refused to leave the cemetery and stayed by his owner's grave. The graveyard staff were constantly chasing him away, but he always returned and eventually they gave up and provided little Bobby with shelter beside the grave. Word of Bobby's loyalty quickly spread and he became a local sensation. It's said that crowds would gather outside the graveyard at one o'clock each day when Edinburgh's famous one o'clock gun was fired and Bobby would leave the grave and join local joiner William Dow for a walk to a local coffee shop. Trails Temperance Coffee House, which is one that Bobby knew because him and John used to go there all the time on their rounds. And Bobby was always given something to eat by the owner, John Trail, who would feed him scraps of meat through the back window. This tradition continued after John's passing, thanks to the generosity of the owner. A new bylaw was passed by the Edinburgh Council in 1867, making it mandatory that all dogs had a licence and a collar. So the Lord Provost of Edinburgh, Sir William Chalmers, volunteered to pay for Bobby's licence and he received a collar with the inscription Greyfriars Bobby from the Lord Provost, 1867, licensed. This kind act saved Bobby from being rounded up and destroyed by the dog catchers. And if you visit the Museum of Edinburgh on the Royal Mile, you can see the collar and drinking bowl that Bobby used to use. Bobby stayed by John's grave for 14 years until he eventually passed on the 14th of January, 1872. He was buried in a flower pot opposite the large window of Old Greyfriars Church in the same cemetery, just a few feet away from his beloved owner by John Trail, the owner of the coffee shop. In 1981, a new headstone at Bobby's grave was unveiled by the Duke of Gloucester. The inscription reads, Greyfriars Bobby, died January 14th, 1872, aged 16 years. Let his loyalty and devotion be a lesson to us all. The legend of Bobby touched the heart of Baroness Angelia Georgina Burdett Coutts, who was the daughter of the banker Thomas Coutts of Coutts Bank fame and inherited 1.8 million on her grandfather's death, making her one of the wealthiest women in England. Burdett Coutts spent most of her wealth on philanthropic causes, 
She co-founded the Urania Cottage for Fallen Young Women with Charles Dickens and became a social housing pioneer. The Baroness got permission from Edinburgh Council to erect a statue of Bobby at the junction of Candlemakers Row and George IV Bridge, just outside Greyfriars Kirkyard. The artist, William Brodie, was commissioned to create the statue in 1872 and he came up with a granite fountain topped by a bronze, life-size statue of Greyfriars Bobby. The fountain was originally furnished with two bronze drinking cups which were attached to the column by a chain. The supply of water to the fountain was discontinued in 1857 and the monument suffered from neglect until it was restored in 1985. But since its unveiling on the 15th of November 1873, the statue of Bobby has become an important Edinburgh landmark. In fact, the nose has recently become a popular feature for tourists, believing that it brings luck if rubbed. Edinburgh Council discourages this and it causes damage to the A-listed structure and locals have campaigned to stop the recent tradition. The story of Greyfriars Bobby captured the imagination of no less than filmmaker Walt Disney. In 1961, he released a movie starring Donald Crisp and Lawrence Naismith, titled Greyfriars Bobby. The movie was filmed on location in Edinburgh and directed by Don Chafee. The Adventures of Greyfriars Bobby was a 2005 remake of the story, directed by John Henderson. This version of the story starred James Cosmo, Gina McKee, Christopher Lee and Ardell O'Hanlon. As you can tell, Greyfriars Bobby's story is one of the most enduring tales of loyalty and devotion. It serves as a reminder of the special bond between humans and animals. Greyfriars Kirkyard is a historic cemetery in Edinburgh, Scotland, it's also the final resting place of many notable figures, including the poet Robert Burns and the philosopher David Hume. The historic churchyard is also said to have served as an inspiration for J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. The cemetery is located near the author's former home in the city. And if you check out some of the graves, you'll notice that they have a bit of a similarity to the names and locations in the books. For example, the character of Lord Voldemort's father, Tom Riddle, is buried in a grave with the name Thomas Riddle in the kirkyard. Similarly, the character of Hermione Granger's parents are buried under the names of Jean and Ernie Granger. On a grave in the cemetery. William McGonagall, notorious for being Scotland's worst poet, is interred in a graveyard. Some say he served as the model for Hogwarts headmistress Professor Minerva McGonagall, it is also speculated that the graveyard was the source of inspiration for the final resting place of Hufflepuff character Helga Hufflepuff. As promised, here is another tale of a dog who proved to be quite useful during World War II. The dog's name was Gunner. My uncle brought him back from World War II. He was raised and slept under my uncle's anti-aircraft gun the gun crew shared their rations to feed him. By the time he was 18 months old, my uncle said he would stand up and look at the sky. If he lay back down, they knew all was okay. If he growled and put his hackles up, they got ready. 
He knew the sound of the German aircraft and my uncle said he never got it wrong. He said Gunner was better than any early warning system. I'm probably the only one left in the family that knows that story now. So I thought I'd tell it before it gets lost forever. Like many stories must be from that time. And the last one is Floss, who in the early hours of May the 6th, 1928, this half Spaniel, half Airedale, belonging to William Gulling of 4 Stanley Road in Gloucester, started barking quite violently. William woke up and found his stable and shed on fire. So along with his wife, they tried to put out the flames, but were overcome by the heat. Floss ran straight into the flames and pulled the wife out first, then went back into the fire to get her master. She was awarded the National Canine Defence League's medal for saving the lives of her owners, as well as three other members of the family. Do you love true crime, but are looking for something different? It sounds like a sitcom. It does. The Benders. The kind of assholes, you should probably leave them alone. Do you like learning about cases so off the wall they can't possibly be true? Her wig is enormous, but it is lifted off her head by a monkey. Do you love history, but want to hear about what they didn't teach you in school? It's just got a almost where you hang your horns sign. <laughs> Do you like laughing awkwardly about cases that are bizarre and a little strange? They'd be able to wield so many knives with all of their little arms. <laughs> then we have the podcast for you. Join me, Lindsay. And me, Madison, for Ye Old Crime. Where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. Listen every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. What kind of dog does a magician have? A labracadabrador. Back in the day facts. So let's start off with the 30th of September 1882 when Thomas Edison's first commercial hydroelectric power plant, later known as Appleton Edison Light Company, begins operation. On the 30th of September 1947, English guitarist, singer-songwriter and poet Mark Bolan was born. He was a pioneer of the glam rock movement in the early 1970s with his band T-Rex. T-Rex's 1971 album, Electric Warrior, with all songs written by Bolan, has been described by AllMusic as the album that essentially kick-started the UK glam rock craze. The hits included Jeepster, Children of the Revolution and 20th Century Boy, to name but a few. On the 16th of September 1977, Bolan was a passenger in a Mini 1275GT, driven by Gloria Jones, as they headed home from Morton's Club Restaurant in Berkeley Square, London. Both had been drinking alcohol, 
after she crossed a small humpback bridge near Gypsy Lane on Queen's Ride, Barnes, southwest London, the car struck a fence post and then a tree. Bolin was killed instantly, while Joan suffered a broken arm and broken jaw. On the 1st of October, 1861, Mrs Beaton's Book of Household Management is published, going on to sell 60,000 copies in its first year, and remaining in print until the present day. On the 2nd of October 2004, the first park run, then known as the Bushy Park Time Trail, takes place in Bushy Park, London. This 5km event for walkers, runners and volunteers now takes place every Saturday morning at more than 2,000 locations in 22 countries across 6 continents. On the 3rd of October 1981, the hunger strike at the Mays Prison in Northern Ireland ends after seven months and ten deaths. On the 4th of October, 1853, the Crimean War begins when the Ottoman Empire declares war on the Russian Empire. It ends in February 1856, won by an ultimately victorious alliance of the Ottoman Empire, France, United Kingdom and Sardinia, Piedmont. On the 5th of October, 1962, the first of the James Bond film series, based on the novels by Ian Fleming, Dr No, is released in Britain. On the same day, the first Beatles single, Love Me Do, is also released. And lastly, on the 6th of October 1600, Eurydice, the earliest surviving opera, receives its premiere performance, beginning the Baroque period. afraid that's it for today's show but don't worry because i'll be here same time same place next week and i hope you enjoyed our rather fluffy cute doggy episode which came to life with the exceptional voice talents of steve shepherd from bradley stoke radio russ from infectious group podcast rosie hales and joe wilson and david brinley hale from St. Stephen's Drama Group, right here in Bristol. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.